Welcome to the Colts episode. John Cale. The Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Start it over. Welcome to the Colts episode. Our Midwest accents making it sound like Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Colts? Uh, I think if you were like, yeah, someone from the East Coast, you'd say Colts. Colts. I say Colts. Yeah. Same you say Colts? Pen. Pen and pen. I can't say differently. There's some other ones I can't think. I know like... Pet, some people say pillow. I don't say that. <laughs> I do say nightmare. I don't know why I say that. But hey, you know more, you know than, more I know. than I know. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. All right. This is Connecting the Classics, a music podcast where music enthusiasts like myself and my co host. Lee Robinson is him, himself, and I am Will Hagel. And we both pick albums, and we challenge each other to select a song off of those albums and then connect to the other person's album using tangential songs, references, musical spider webs, weaving webs in the style of Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon style. Six songs of separation. And every once in a while, we have a theme on Connecting the Classics. Uh, you can write to us at connectingtheclassics at gmail.com if you want to suggest a theme. And if we pick your theme, we will Venmo you $1. Today's theme came from a listener who emailed us named Drew. And Drew's suggestion was cult classics. And then Drew did a colon, religious music, or, all caps, or, and then harsh turn to lowercase goth post-punk like the cult the cure Su- is it Susie and the banshees yeah uh etc susie susie some say if you're from the midwest you say susie if you're on the east coast you say susie or maybe it's susie yeah um wait but, so it's specific to the cult genre i think i missed the memo on that well, the main theme was cult music, so I might be weaving some webs that'll give Drew what he what he wants, but good. we don't tailor this directly to the listener. We do Venmo you $1, so Drew, send us your Venmo, and we'll send you a dollar. Uh, but we both chose albums, I guess. I kind of chose mine just a little bit inspired by the religious music, cult, cure kind of thing Drew I could suggested. hear that. It sounded like the cure, for sure. So we'll, we'll be weaving that web. Uh, the album I picked was Heaven's Patent Pending. And I fired back with Blue Oyster Cult, self-titled Blue Oyster Cult. So we're going to have to connect from Heaven's to Blue Oyster Cult. Lee's going to have to connect from Blue Oyster Cult to Heaven's. How are we going to do it? Weaving webs through musical history. This is what we do on Connecting the Classics. But yeah, so real quick, I can talk about Heaven's and then we'll launch into a song. Yeah, tell me. Like I said, it came out 2006. I didn't say this, but I was going to say it. it came out in 2006 on Epitaph. The singer is Matt Skiba, who is from Alkaline Trio. We've talked wow, about okay. him on the podcast before. Yep. This came out, I guess. Well, I was kind of looking up, you know, the context of it and comparing it to what I remember from when it came out. 
uh, Alkaline Trio's first album, God Damn It, came out in 1998. And then 2005 is when Crimson came out. And for me, my age, 2003 is when Good Morning came out, which was like my favorite Alkaline Trio album. And then by that, everyone was already kind of saying they, they were starting to fall off a little bit. And then this album was sort of a side project Matt Skiba did with his roommate, who is Josiah Steinbrick, who is in the band F Minus. They lived together in Chicago, and I guess uh, Josiah had a whole, you know, album of instrumentals. And Matt Skiba came in every night for a week, drinking wine and just recorded lyrics over it. Nice. So the big hit from it when it came out was Patent Pending, but we're going to launch into the song I enjoy the most on the re-listen, which is Heaven's Annabelle. Nice. Heavy bass on this one. Give Lee what he wants. another album where you were hearing it like as current music in 2006? Yeah. So I was going to say this, you know, Alkaline Trio was one of my favorite bands and they were kind of like a heavier goth influenced punk band. Like their lyrics are always kind of dark and morose. And this was sort of a departure because it's, you know, just one, one guy playing all the instruments. It's kind of like intricate little simple simple but intricate guitars and synths and like drum machine and stuff like that yeah kind of the postal service formula yeah except they were doing it together i guess too oh true yeah the postal service but they sent letters back and forth from their rooms down the hall but yeah when this came out it was kind of a cult classic especially like me and my brother both really like this album and I feel like it was kind of underrated because it's a little like got the early mid Midwest emo kind of sound but totally. in like a poppy in like a format. reference to bands like The Cure like, yeah we'll be weaving that web So what do you think of this album? Curious to hear your thoughts. So it was really interesting. Uh, when I when I put it on, I actually didn't know who the band Heaven was, and then I was about halfway through the album and I looked up their wiki, and funny enough, Josiah Steinbrick was actually one of the Dublap DJs that I used to manage his shows. Oh, so I, awesome. I knew him, but had no idea like his musical projects that he'd worked on and whatever. So he was just like a normal guy to me. But it sounds like he's a pretty accomplished dude. 
this scene. Uh, I thought the instrumental aspect was really nice. I, I really keyed in the kind of the the setups that he was doing for the vocalists. Yeah, I wonder if he's still doing music like this. I have no idea. Uh, we'll be weaving that web later. Ooh, Ooh. we don't plan this. definitely was into the instrumentals more than the vocals just i don't have that same midwest emo nostalgia that you do i think yeah well this also like kind of the way matt skiba is singing right now like the higher register that's usually how he sang an alkaline trio so this album was like a little departure from that too where he was like singing in a different format or t- tone i guess but we'll be weaving that web too but Let's get into some Blue Oyster Cult. Nice. All right. Well, I fired back with the first Cult album that came to mind uh, with Cult in both the band name and the album title. I actually didn't know this album when I threw it out to you. Um, was looking online, seeing what, what Blue Oyster Cult fans thought as the favorite albums, and this was usually listed in top three. Definitely very raw. I don't think they had found their sort of pop sensibilities that you would you know hear in their later albums like with the big hits, Burning For You and uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. But um, I thought it was really cool. It's 1972, and it seems like it's right in that era where you've got Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, all doing kind of this new hard rock genre. Um, And I think that's part of where the sort of occult aspect, I think, of their name comes in. Uh, So I'm going to go with the song Screams. Hopefully you didn't choose this one. I thought this one was really fun. And at one point, he's like talking about Satan, which I think if you mentioned Satan, you became an occult rock band. So launching into Blue Oyster Cult Screams. So as I mentioned, they're actually a New York band. I didn't know that, but this is their first album. And uh, the lead singer, Eric Bloom, mentions that from the first album, they were working with David Lucas, who is like a famous jingle writer and producer. And they went to his studio. They only had eight tracks. So he was having to teach them how to do all these like magical, you know, rebouncing to try to get like the flange that you hear on the vocals that sort of like wobbly effect um, but I went on to read later that David Lucas is the guy who um, is spoofed in the SNL skit about more cowbell yeah yeah um, so I think he pretty much works with this band throughout their discography nice 
And definitely the eight track thing makes sense because they definitely, or this album has like kind of a live feel. Totally. And it, it's almost like the drums probably had like one or two mics since you don't have, only have eight tracks. So it's a That's little interesting raw. about the vocals too because I definitely hear that now that you say that. Yeah, he said uh, the producer was all into what was happening with the Beatles in that production is the reference point. It's interesting too that you're talking about how they talk about Satan and like yeah. the idea of cult music, like religion is always tied to music, you know, from people chant Gregorian chants and shit like that. And it's like music is spiritual in a way. And then when rock and roll was getting popular in this kind of period, there was backlash against it saying it was like satanic cult worshiping type stuff. Well, even with like, oh, great guitar solo. Yeah, they say very much Black Sabbath-esque. Yeah, I saw that they were listed as an early heavy, heavy metal band, which I didn't really know that. I feel like the SNL skit kind of ruined them for me because that's probably how I first heard of them. And then I just only had that song, really, and hadn't really, uh, you know, gone into their discography. So I'm glad you chose this album. Yeah, it was a fun listen to go back to. To go back to what you were mentioning about the uh, uh, cult music, uh, I read that like with the Manson family murders, that like some labels, if you mentioned Satan, would like just held your record back. Wow. Unless you wanted to get rid of the track because they're too worried about the sort of hysteria around it. And people would play back Stairway to Heaven. And it's like, oh, here's the My Sweet Satan. Yeah, exactly. We weave in that web later. We don't plan this. Yeah, he said, screams in the night, sirens delight, heat, broken glass, Satan's bread, trash. Love those drums. So yeah, we got that outro with the drums. As you mentioned, totally like proto heavy metal, hard rock type stuff, which, you know, you don't necessarily associate with Blue Oyster Cult. Um, but I'll pass it back. Yeah, I thought the theme fit well too. Or... <laughs> I thought the album fit the theme well uh, because you got songs like Stairway to the Stars, like Stairway to Heaven. We just mentioned that. Yep. Stairway to Heavens. You got I'm on the Lamb, but I ain't no sheep. And, you know, Jesus is the Lamb and the Light. Yep. You got Redeemed to close out the album. So I was skeptical. I thought maybe you just picked Blue Oyster Cult just because of Cult in the name, but it definitely did fit the theme well. So I'll give you one point for that. Hey, thanks. But we left off with Heaven's Annabelle. I was listening to this album with my wife, whose name is Anna, not Belle, <laughs> in, in the car. And she said it sounds like The Cure, which you already mentioned. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an obvious thread. I'll give five points to Anna. <laughs> uh, and obviously The Cure is one of the bands that our listener Drew suggested would fit with this theme. 
So when Anna said that, I said, you know, you're right. Heavens does sound like the cure. Or is it the cure sounds just like heavens? Launch your name of the cure, just like heaven. Nice. I wonder if that's where they got their name. This is The Cure's biggest American crossover hit, 1987. But the guitar style on Heavens is kind of similar to this. And like the drums sound kind of tinny and almost like a drum machine on this in a weird way. Speaking of wives, this song was apparently uh, written as a love letter to Robert Smith's wife. Oh, nice. She appears in the music video. Ultimate romantic gesture. So I don't know how much you know about The Cure, but I was kind of reading up on them. They're from England. It's always formed in 78. It's confusing to me the the Joy Division, the, the Joy Division between The Cure and Joy Division. No, in New yeah. Order, that's who it is. Well, all those bands to a certain degree, and like The Cure in particular, had the goth look, but their songs are super poppy, especially this yeah. one. But I feel like half of The Cure is like their look. Yeah, they were. So that's what I always get confused. It's like, where do I lump together Joy Division and The Cure together? But I don't think they are like playing shows together, are they? I don't know. It's all 80s music. It's definitely similar. But you're right, though. With The Cure, that like whole goth look got really popular, I think. Yeah. Another web weaving to heavens. Robert Smith, the singer of The Cure, was talking about writing this song when he lived with his wife in a small two-bedroom apartment in North London. Hey, if you're from the Midwest, you call it an apartment, but if you're from England, you call it a flat. <laughs> and he said the other bedroom was a music room. And a just funny quote, he, he said, just about the only discipline I had in my life was self-imposed. I set my regimen of writing 15 days a month. Otherwise, I'd have just got up in mid-afternoon, watched TV until the pubs opened, then gone out drinking. Wow. I, I knew as soon as I'd written it that it was a good pop song. It's about hyperventilating, kissing and fainting to the floor. And said something like, if you have one night like that, it's worth a thousand hours of slog. <laughs> That's true. So I was never a big fan of The Cure, but going back and listening to some of their songs, like Boys Don't Cry, they have a few classics. And there is something, I think it's similar to like Alkaline Trio and Heavens in that they have like a dark look and feel about them, 
but combined with kind of melancholy, but combined with pop sensibility that I think makes it appealing to a wider audience. And it doesn't necessarily alienate you or like they're not talking about, uh, you know, Satan. Yeah, that's a really great um, analogy. I'll give you 1979 points for that. Thank you. And I'll pass it back. All right. We were leaving off at Blue Oyster Cult uh, with the song Screams. Uh, one thing, in addition to heavy metal or hard rock, uh, I got flavors of another sort of niche genre, maybe even a cult genre, you might call it, uh, which is the cosmic blues, which is kind of this idea of you know taking R&B and blues roots and mixing them with psychedelia. Um, so I'm going to launch into another example uh, of a cosmic blues song that also has some ties to the occult. Ooh. So jumping into Spirit, the other song. The singer sounds, makes, <laughs> he makes great noises on this. Sounds like someone just like pinched him. Ow! He also does a little click noise with his mouth later in the song. Like Hereditary, a movie about the cult. The cult. What instrument is that? Guitar? I think he's doing guitar with some effects, yeah. This is 1975. Sounds like Marvin Gaye. And so the band is Spirit. I don't know if I mentioned that. If you're in a cold, you worship the spirits. And they're a Los Angeles band. Yeah, I just love the combination of blues and like spacey. They call this cosmic rock. Yeah, cosmic blues. Kind of a loose genre. Got some uh, flanger in there again. I like this a lot. So, you had mentioned Let's Up One Stairway to Heaven. We don't plan this, folks, but one of the things I was going to note about Spirit is they were actually, um, they toured with Led Zeppelin in the late 60s. And one of their big cultural pop moments is that uh, the lead singer, Randy California of Spirit, ended up suing Led Zeppelin because uh, he felt like Jimmy Page lifted the Stairway to Heaven finger-picking riff mm. from his song, Taurus. Which the timeline fits. Late 60s, I think Stairway to Heaven is like 74. Well, hasn't pretty much every band accused Led Zeppelin of just straight ripping them off? 
I mean, I think they they were pretty bad about that. I mean, I guess it, it's where you draw the line of what's like fair play. Can you just like take a riff and then build a song out of it? I mean, some people might say that's okay. It's also a time period when we've talked about this before. Like, it was folk music up until like the '60s, really, and then it was record companies like making tons of money off people's riffs that they might have just passed along from person to person. Totally. So Stairway to Heaven's actually 71, so that would be even sooner after they were touring. But yeah, so now we're in kind of the jazzy part of this. I was going to say, it's a little jazzy, I like it. But now we're coming back. I think it's just because I live in Los Angeles, but I've kind of had this realization too that a lot of like Los Angeles music is a little all over the place in terms of genre. Totally. And it's like got the, you know, like in the 90s, the alternative scene with like Jane's Addiction and even like Red Hot Chili Peppers or Sublime. I mean, it's true of any city, but. I think you're right. I think that's part of too why this song is so special and has kind of remained sort of a cult classic is because it has this weird blend of all these different sounds. It feels way ahead of its time for 1975. Yeah. Like The Doors even to another LA band. Yeah. has a little bit of this sound. So he actually, he did lose in court when he went to sue them. I don't know if I mentioned that. So the court did not find Led Zeppelin guilty of ripping it. Unless it's something really blatant, I feel like most copyright infringement cases are BS. It's like that Olivia Rodrigo song. I don't know if you know it, but it... When you hear it, it's like, oh, this sounds like Paramore. And I think Paramore actually sued her or something and makes money off her song now. Yeah. But it's like, when you hear Heavens, your first thought is, oh, this sounds like The Cure, but it's not like they need to pay The Cure. Like Everyone obviously has influences that are going to seep into their music naturally. Yeah, there's always that quote I love saying about, you know, good musicians write their own material and great musicians steal their material from good musicians that's why you love bob dylan yeah it's like i feel like Led Zeppelin was totally good at just like taking just tiny little pieces of someone else's ideas and then you make a song out of it and you can call it your own yep all right pass it back all right we left off with the cure just like heavens and we're you know we were talking about how heavens kind of sounds like the cure uh, when I was kind of looking up Heavens, I didn't see them mention The Cure directly as an influence, but they did mention a few other bands that are, you know, in the same vein of The Cure. So I found this quote from Matt Skiba, who said, in Alkaline Trio, I'm usually thinking Ramones and Misfits in terms of his singing. Uh, he said, but Joe is such an incredibly talented, imaginative player. 
that he built this foundation that let me feel like I could sing in my or sing low in my register and let influences of Sisters of Mercy come out of me. I don't know if you know Sisters of Mercy, but I'm not that familiar with them. We were just talking about Bob Dylan. This is Sisters of Mercy knocking on heaven's door. Nice. Bob Dylan. Gospel music, cult music. This track was recorded in 1973 in Burbank Studios, California. Wow. Home studio. And when I said this track, I meant the Bob Dylan track. Not this one, because this band didn't even form till 1980 in uh, Leeds. Northern England, so nice. a little bit after the cure. That yeah, voice is great. It reminds me of the German band you played yeah. in the, the last episode. Go and check that out. So I thought, too, I randomly on Twitter the other day came across this thread of some woman who's from London who spent the night out in Leeds and was like, oh, wow, Leeds has such a great nightlife. Like, I was out till 6 a.m. at uh-huh. the club. The clubs played, like, all sorts of different type of music. We can't experience this in London without paying, like, a ton of shit ton of money. And then all these people were just talking about, like, Leeds versus London in the thread. Wow. So, you know, Sisters of Mercy is the Leeds band. The Cure is the London band. Wiki says Leeds is credited for inventing carbonated water. It was one of the major exporters of it in the 1760s. Wow, shout out to Leeds. Another bassist I know, Michael Thies. Another shout out. I know he lived in Leeds for a while and always talks about how they have a great music scene, too. So probably just like Chicago emo, Leeds, yep. goth is underrated so I guess this band would do a lot of kind of covers like this uh, in their live show and they've been in like a bunch of different formations over the years and had kind of a long career mm-hmm. and I think this came out like later in their career where they released these cover songs And that last song, we heard some good leads guitar. Minus five. (laughs) I had written down in my notes, leads guitar joke. I didn't know how I was going to format it, but. Oh, here we go. There it is. It's a heavy guitar solo episode. (laughs) 
was kind of thinking about, you know, Bob Dylan obviously went through his gospel phase. Was this song part of it? I don't know how much you know about the original Knocking on Heaven's Door. I, I'm not sure if I, it was part of his, like, rebirth type stuff. Hey, you know more than I know. It says Knocking on Heaven's Door is 1973. I think that's a little too early. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on Colts, because, I mean, I feel like, I don't know if our listeners will agree, but there's kind of this distinction made between Colts and... Organized religion. Organized religion, or just like even spirituality, like no matter how that comes up, or like any sort of group. And I think there is something with cults and that it's like smaller and niche and there's usually one person going rogue leading them yeah i think there's an assumption too that someone's yeah misleading them yeah but in a sense kind of i guess everything is sort of a cult or like brainwashing them somehow but then i don't know if you we talked about hereditary or i brought it up with the clicking sound because that's a thing that happens in that movie and then Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary's next movie is Midsummer. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I feel like I love that movie. And I feel like it's kind of about cults or it's about a cult in Sweden, but it makes you kind of like cults in a weird way. Or it seems like, oh, they got some good ideas, you know, uh-huh. which is like in some sense, like you always feel bad for someone when they join a cult, but in some ways you know everyone's looking for meaning in life or structure and there is something i guess we'll be weaving this web later but ballsy about you know just giving up your own old life and starting new Uh in a a group of people that lives completely outside of established norms one of my old uh professors at, and mentors at um, USC his wife actually ran away to join a cult super wow. sad just like like you're saying just uh, completely forgot about her her old life and joined a cult yeah and I guess it's sad if it's obviously being oppressed but if that gives someone meaning and they're not like killing people then I guess I'm saying I don't know how bad it really is mm-hmm not saying I'm pro-cult. I'm not taking a pro-cult stance on connecting the classics, but I guess I was just thinking about it since that was the theme of the episode. Yeah. I think it's valid. All right. Passing it back. All right. Well, we were talking about cosmic blues and talking about cosmic themes Made me think of another cult classic television show, one that feels more relevant than ever, given some of the events that have happened in the sky for the United States. This is Mark Snow, X-Files theme. Nice. We are an evergreen podcast. I think X-Files will will forever remain a... uh, classic TV show inspired by earlier series like the Twilight Zone and Twin Peaks are you a fan of X-Files 
I really, I actually really liked it when I was a kid, but I have yet to go back and kind of rewatch it as an adult. But for those who don't know, it's a show that revolves around two FBI agents, Dana Scully and Fox Mulder. Is one of them David Duchovny? Yeah, David Duchovny is uh, Fox Mulder. Basically, they uh, investigate paranoia, paranormal and unsolved cases. But I, th- I thought it was great. I was reading the wiki and it said, the show tapped into public mistrust of governments and large institutions and embraced conspiracy theories and spirituality. And I feel like that's as relevant then as it is now. Yeah. Especially because conspiracy theories were on the fringes and now it's essentially mainstream and everyone has their own individualized conspiracy theories about everything. Yeah, exactly. This is an evergreen podcast or I'd go on a rant about the UFO (laughs) situation. Do it. Nah. I'll just say government is a cult and we're all under its brainwash of the reptilian leader. (laughs) Nah, I'm kidding. But it wasn't, what they shot down was not a uh, UFO, right? Just a balloon. Weather balloon. Just a hobbyist $12 weather balloon from Northern Illinois. Or so they want you to believe. (laughs) Uh, Mark Snow, television composer, nothing too crazy about him. Um, Writing jingles like David Lucas, producer of Blue Colt, Bluish Colt. Give you five points for that. Also writing instrumentals like my next connection. I'm going to go on a run here. Ooh. So... Get pulling out some deep trivia for you X-Files fans. Fox Mulder, David Duchovny's character, is born in Martha's Vineyard, which is pretty close to where I am. And his family actually has a home in Rhode Island, mm. which so does the next musician in my mm. connection. Actually from Providence, Rhode Island. Didn't realize this until I did some research. This is another instrumentalist. Josiah Steinbrick from his latest release. This is Vivid Tile Vid. Wow. So you would ask what his music sounds like. Did you call him Joe? No, I didn't know him that well. (laughs) Didn't know him as well as Matt Skiba? Definitely not. Oh yeah, he's from Providence. Would never have known that. I feel like Providence has a good underrated music scene. Cult classic music scene. Totally. Any sort of college town across America does. And you can feed into New York, which is nice. With those chugging guitars, I thought sounded a lot like Heaven's.
definitely like in the world of kind of like multi-instrumentalist dub lab style like uh, a mix of fourth world experimental type music um, saw he's done some collaborations with sam gendel who's the saxophonist i don't know if you've ever listened to his stuff kind of that experimental jazz type but i dig it i really like this stuff Sounds a lot like that new age music from Japan in the 80s. Yeah, I didn't know much about him. He moved to LA like right as I started working at Dub Lab and that's when he got a show. It was him and Devandra Barnhart did a show together. Because I know he's uh, collaborated with him a lot. But yeah, they're always nice to me. I don't really know him that well. F minus had a split album with Leftover Crack. They were always stoked whenever I would have, like, because my show was right before theirs. And whenever I played, like, Japanese New Age, definitely Josiah was always, like, stoked on that that's awesome i like yeah his music has kind of like the repetitive loops and this yep, is the, sort of has that not minimalism ambient, but yeah. yeah it's like an ambient minimalism type influence yeah the split of f minus and leftover crack is baby jesus sliced up in the manger wow talking religious music Another Rhode Island cult classic, Hocus Pocus 2, was was filmed here. Love it. All right. Passing it back. Yeah, yeah. Run over. Yeah, so shout out to Joe, Josiah, depending on how you say it, Steinbrick, because I feel like, yeah, definitely cult classic, underrated. Uh, but we left off with Sisters of Mercy knocking on heaven's door. You know, it was just thinking about cults and how the leader convinces you typically that you're all knocking on heaven's door. And if you just listen to him, usually a man, you'll get what you need. And, uh, you know, usually it's like, follow me into the light when you die. Uh-huh. Are you afraid of the light? No. Hey, I ain't afraid of the light. You know what I mean? It's watching into Colts. You know what I mean? Nice. One of my favorite songs by the band Colts. Indie pop band of the 2010s. Yeah, I think they're Los Angeles too. Real quick, I was going to say, too, I feel like this band kind of has the same thing as Heavens a little bit of and The Cure and that it's a little bit dark, but also poppy, like influenced by 60s pop, but with Mm -hmm. a dark undertone. Tell me what's wrong with my brain. 
So I was looking up an interview with the band. Uh, it's like a guy and a man and a woman started this band and said they were like friends and they were lovers and maybe they lived together. We kind of just had this musical connection. But Oblivion, I forget her first name, said uh, the album came out of fascination with the idea of joining a commune or a religious cult. Ah. Cult leaders and members like Charles Manson, Patty Hearst, and Jim Jones populate the songs. Nice. Oh, Oblivion is the guy. I'll give you 10 points. That's that's great connection. Also, I'm totally of, wrong. They're not New York. Or not LA, they're New York. And kind of what I was talking about earlier, I stole this from this guy named Oblivion who said... Love this song. I feel like you were talking about tension not being resolved on a previous episode. Uh huh. I feel like this is like pure release of tension. Oh, yeah. It's heaven. It's heaven. Just like heavens. Real quick, I was going to say this quote. I'm reading too many quotes on the episode, minus five points. <laughs> but the guy said, We have ambivalent, fascinating feelings with the concept of a cult. There's a beauty and romanticism with someone living such a violently different life, just deciding, well, I'm going to go pack up my bags and go believe in something that nobody else is going to understand. If that's peaceful and progressive, then it's kind of an amazing concept, but it usually doesn't end up being those two things. It ends up just being a greater system of control for weak people. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I think that's an interesting take on cults in general, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's not necessarily bad, but it usually is. Yeah, that's great. I think the weak part is definitely where the manipulation comes from. Yeah, but then to a certain degree, I don't think weak is the right word because, you know, everyone's under some sort of control of others and stuff. Yeah, just like the government. Yeah, just like the UFO shooting government. Well, just like the government, I'm going to force you to go on a run. All right, I'll go on a run, but, you know, I'll follow you. But I'm going on a run because I'm on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep. Connection here is just cults, sacrificing lambs. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Jesus said he's the lamb of God. You can follow a cult if you're a sheep, but I ain't no sheep. Paint it black. I like this one, it just felt like a blues jam. Totally. There's definite contrast between the two albums and that Heavens was slow and kind of melancholy like I was saying and then this was just like pure rock and roll totally it was like non-stop but I was enjoying it I put this album on but I'm not going to talk over the guitar solo
I was going to say, I put this album on while I was watching. Uh, we're an Evergreen podcast because we're watching a new show on Netflix called Physical 100, uh-huh. which is kind of like a Korean reality show based on Squid Game where people do like physical tasks. Wow. So it was like, you know, I just needed to read the subtitles and watch people doing these crazy feats. And I yes. felt like it was a great soundtrack for that. I'm going to try that. That sounds fun. I feel like on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep is a uh, mantra for X Files fans. Oh, really? No, I don't know. <laughs> I love the song titles on this too. Yeah, now that you call it out, I totally see what you mean. They're like funny song titles too. Like, I'm in love with her feet or something is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Or what is it called? She's as beautiful as a foot. Yeah. <laughs> Cities on flame with rock and roll. Well, I don't, I don't know if this is confirmed, but I, I read that blue oyster is a like slang term for a, like, in the gay scene, if you were to like, get someone super aroused, that the head of the penis is a blue oyster. <laughs> so I don't know if this is a reference to that, because if you think of it in that term, the name is even funnier. Yeah, it's the blue oyster cult. It's also a gay bar in um, the movie Airplane. Ooh, fucking so, UFOs. Airplane. Airplanes, UFOs. Uh, all right, I'll take us home here. I didn't realize you were already at your Blue Oyster Cult. Take uh, us down that long and lonesome road. But we left off with Josiah Steinbrick. Actually, you just read on Wiki, he scored the movie Horse Girl. So anyone hmm. looking to get more Josiah Steinbrick, check out that movie. Uh, and as we'd mentioned in the podcast, he was a part of the band Heavens. So watching it with the, the one that stood out to me, really loved the drums on this. This is True Hate. Nice. Probably Josiah Steinbrick drum, drums. I think it's a drum machine, right? Yeah, yeah, just in terms of his programming. Yeah. You just like endlessly loop those drums jam on him. This also I felt like had the, the cure cure influence. Look up goth rock on Wikipedia. Joy Division and The Cure both come up. All right. Just says use of primarily minor chords, reverb, dramatic and melancholy melodies. Too late. Too much. Too late. Wikipedia lists All Tomorrow's Parties by the Velvet Underground as one of the first goth rock songs. Wow. So that's my John Cale get out of jail free card. Alright, you're out of jail. For that Leeds guitar joke. 
So this was a one-off project, right? Yeah. Another thing I read on um, Wiki was that like goth rock was all about de-emphasizing the drums. And so oftentimes you would even have drum machines. So it's yeah, very much it, in that world. And it was the 80s too, so it is kind of like going along with that sound. Yeah, exactly. This album was mixed at Encore Studios in Burbank. Burbank booty. I accidentally clicked to the song to start it over. We just hear it again. I think we're around here, right? Yeah, we're right there. We got up and right out of shape. All right, what are we thinking? Um, any other themes, listeners? We got a few from last week. Keep sending them in. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Yes, as always, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. I felt like they did a good job in this album, though, especially because Matt Skiba was kind of well-known and, like, kind of, even you said you didn't like the lyrics, but I felt like the way that they were kind of put around this music is interesting. Yeah. That really, I liked that you told me that anecdote. Made me appreciate it. Yeah, just two friends jamming. Totally. And that just like CTC. Exactly. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say in that formula of yeah, like one person makes the instrumentals, the other one adds the lyric component. Who do you think was the John Cale and who's the Lou Reed? John Cale. I mean, Kale's I think it's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Great episode. Thanks for the cult episode, Drew. You're a dollar richer. Podcast is my religion. Podcast is jazz. Blues. Cosmic blues, maybe. Cosmic blue oyster cult. All right, I'm done.